Welcome to Church Experience Online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you'd like to access helpful Grow Step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you've learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. Church Experience family, it is so good to have you here with us today, whether you're in person or online. It's just so good to be together and also to be moving forward. Even if we're only in first gear and just barely moving forward, it sure feels good to not be stuck in neutral. <laughs> Felt like for so many months this year, we were just coasting in neutral, not knowing when we could gather together again. And I know not everyone feels safe gathering together yet, and that's okay. Come back when you're ready. But man, it's just so good to start seeing faces again. I believe we were somewhere around 40 to 50% uh, last week at our first week back from what we were prior to the pandemic. And so a lot of people are starting to make their way home. And, man, it just it feels so good to see people again. So thank you. And either way, whether you're in person or online, please pray. Please pray for, of course, our world, our community, our, our nation. But also please be praying for our church family as we together move forward through this, this crisis. Well, I am excited about today's message because I believe it's going to be really helpful with what we're all experiencing collectively. And one of the things that I think that we're experiencing these days is an increased level of conflict. You see it in our, our nation. You, you see, see it play out on a, a local stage. You, you see it in families. There's, there's a lot of built-up tension because of everything that's been going on this year. And I think that's led to increased conflict between people, between groups of people. I mean, there's just, it's been tremendous this year. In fact, even in the UK, there was two neighbors who got into a dispute. This made recent headlines. It was really interesting. That one neighbor walks out, and he goes to his vehicle, and there had been this parking dispute between him and the neighbor about whose parking space it was. And he had parked in it that night before, and he comes out to his vehicle to get in his vehicle and go to work. And, and as he comes out, he sees this metal scaffolding built all the way around his vehicle. He's not going anywhere. And not just was his vehicle surrounded by this built-in scaffolding, but this scaffolding was attached to a trailer that was cemented into the ground. So he was permanently not going anywhere. <laughs> the neighbor settled the dispute, right? See, there, there's this conflict, and we can kind of laugh about that a little bit, but it's not so funny when it lands in, in your own family or your own workplace or your own friendships. Conflict is not easy for anyone, but it's very natural for everyone. So how do we... How do we handle conflict? How do we work through it in a healthy way? What, what, how do we respond as the church these days with all the conflict that's going on in our world? Well, I can tell you how we don't want to respond when there's adversity, when, there, when there's tension is another word that we could use. Uh, Dan Ryland, a mentor of mine, said it best. He's the executive pastor of, of a partner church of ours, 12 Stone Church. He wrote in a recent article, he said, you know, when you feel overloaded, here's four signs that you might be overloaded. 
He said, it might be escapism that starts to occur in your life. You start to think about being somewhere else and escaping your situation. It's a sign that you're overloaded. He said it, it could be antagonism, that there's this built-up bitterness and you're antagonistic with others. It could be detachment. You just emotionally detach, and you know the problems are there. You're not denying that they're there like you would in escapism, but you're, you're just kind of emotionally detached but still present. Or pessimism, just an overwhelming negativity over your situation. And if you're feeling any of those four things, and certainly if you're feeling more than one of those four things, it's a good sign that, that you've, you, you've been experiencing tension, conflict, stress, worry, fear, the things that are really common, maybe now more than ever. So we're going to talk about what you do when you're in that situation, especially in your relationships. And we're going to look today together at Colossians chapter 3. And here with us in the service or at home, if you have a Bible and you want to pull that out and, and follow along, you're welcome to do that. But we'll have all the verses on the screen for you today as well. Colossians chapter 3, a, a short but very potent passage of Scripture, begins this way in, in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Unity, and you know what? That's what we want. We want unity. We want love to reign in our lives. And so let's let's look at this passage piece by piece. Is there's so much goodness here from God, and how to handle tension, how to handle conflict, how to work with people, how to get along with people, and not just survive. What, what I believe God really wants is for you to thrive in your workplace relationships. In your relationships with people who think differently than you, who believe differently than you, the people who live down the street from you or in the same family than you or under the same household as you, God wants your relationships to thrive, to improve. And so that's where we're going today. Well, it starts out here in Colossians 3.12. It says, to God's people who are holy, we're holy, dearly loved, holy. It says we're holy. Do you see that in verse 12? Holy means to be set apart. We're God's people, and and the world should look at us and see something different. We're set apart. We're not the same as the world. We're, we're followers of Jesus Christ who have been set apart. Just as God is set apart from us, we, we are set apart from the world. We're, we're holy, set apart people, the people of God. And so we should do things different. When the world looks at the church, when it looks at believers, they should see a different response in your life than the lives of those who don't follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that there's not People who are not believers in Jesus who can, that can be good people in a sense and they can have good characteristics. But what it's saying here is that, that we're set apart, we're different. How we respond to things are, are different. It's not talking about perfection here. It's not talking about an absence of conflict, which is unattainable and it's not even healthy. It can be good to have conflict, a healthy conflict. See, it's the same situation but a different response. Because we're God's people, we're going to be in the same situations. We're all together experiencing the same situation with, with COVID, but, but we can respond differently as believers. How, how have you been responding to the tension in your life? Would someone look at you and by observation alone be able to tell that, that you're different, that there's something set apart about you? That you're a believer in Jesus and a follower of his? Well, it begins by telling us that 
the word to be holy, to be set apart. And it goes on, it says, therefore is God's chosen people, verse 12, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness. And it goes on. It says that you're, you're dearly loved. You know, I think a big source of conflict in all of our lives is when we don't feel loved or valued, when we don't feel understood or appreciated. And hey, even if nobody else understands you, if nobody else loves you, God always gets you. He, he knows more about you and understands more about what's going on in your mind even than you do. He was there before you were born. He always has been, always will be, and he loves you so much that he gave his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for your sins so that you can experience his forgiveness and his companionship and a relationship with him. And so he says that you're, you're dearly loved. And, you know, you can go into a room and if you don't feel loved and you're insecure about do people want me here, do they need me, do they care about me, then you go in with a really selfish mindset. And insecure people, a lot of times, are very prideful people. Very, very, they don't realize they're very, very self-centered people because it's all about them. What do people think about me and how, how, how am I doing? Am I fitting in? All those things. But, but when you feel loved, when you know you're valued, when you know you're understood, when, when, when you know what God thinks about you, that you're a, a beloved child of His, think about it. Then you can flip that and you can go into a room and it doesn't really matter so much what other people think about you. Your value is not coming to your life and being reflected into your life based on other people's opinions and preferences. Your value is coming into your life based on who God says you are. The value he's priced on you, which is infinite, that he gave his own son for you. And when you know you're a dearly beloved child of, of the king, of your heavenly father, then you can go into a room and it's not about you and what do people think about you and are you needed or valued. No, you can go in and you can make other people feel loved. You can make other people feel important and special. And you can focus on others and listen to them even when you're not heard. You can understand others even when they don't understand you. You can appreciate other people even if they don't appreciate you. See, there's something different. There's a, there's a switch that happens. You're set apart. You're dearly loved. But you have to know that. You have to understand that. So as we launch into this message today, how, how can we be different? What can we do about the tension and the conflict in our life? This passage sets it up so well. You're, you're to be different. You're set apart. You're holy. And you're dearly loved by your Father in heaven. You need to know those things. God expects a higher standard of you, something different. And he also wants you to know that you're loved and you're valued and he's with you. And so, so once you have that baseline, it goes on in verse 12. You see it here. It says, to clothe yourselves. And it's going to give us a list of seven things that we're going to go through. Seven things that are going to change our relationships exponentially. But before it does that, it says to clothe yourselves with these things. To, to put them on, to wear them. Now, I'm a, I'm a grown man. And I, I still will ask my wife every once in a while, hey, does this match? And sometimes she'll look at me and she'll be like, no, it doesn't. I'm like, man, I think I'll figure this out by now. I told some of you the story. We first started dating. We were 19 years old. And she went through my closet. And she's like, hey, you know how you always wear this outfit? It doesn't match. And this one, I'll just get rid of that shirt. And she, she just, she went through and systematically showed me how often I did not match and, and get it right. But, but I'll still ask her opinion because I, I value her opinion. But when, when you put an outfit on, you, you plan to wear it. All day. You, you plan to keep it with you. you. You put it on. You're intentional about it. You pick out what you're going to wear, and then you wear it throughout the day. Here it tells us to, to clothe ourselves. It's, it's something that we intentionally, not haphazardly, put on. 
there, there's a way to do it and do it well and to do it right. You, you put on these attributes, these qualities. You do these things purposefully. You wear them. It says clothe yourselves in them. And this is meant to be something that you, you put on. Maybe you start your day this way. You say, this is, this is how I'm going to go into my relationships. This is, this is how I'm going to respond when, when the Christ is here. This is, this is going to be my best effort at honoring and worshiping God today is through these, these things that I'm being commanded to do. But I'm going to continue in them. I'm going to persevere in them. I'm going to wear them in the good and the bad times. Around the people I enjoy being around and the people that I don't enjoy being around so much. I am going to do my best to clothe myself in these seven things. And then it moves on and it, and it talks about these, these things that we're commanded to do. And this instruction here to the early church that was meant for us as well. All on, on, with the background of, hey, you're, you're, you're a beloved child. The son of a king. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, which has made that possible. Because you are set apart through Jesus. Because you're in relationship with God. Because you've been adopted, John 1, 12, into this new family. Through faith in Jesus Christ and his grace. Because of that, because of this transformation that's happened to you. Church, hey church, you're set apart, you're different, you're loved. So because of that, here's how you should live. And, that, and that's really different than a self-help message that's just saying, hey, you know, if you, if you just fix up your life and do these different things, your life's going to work out great, it's going to be okay, it's going to be good. Now, you, now, if you don't follow Jesus, can you improve your life incrementally by making changes in who you are and how you live? Sure. But is it going to work out good in the end? No, not in the end because you'll still stand before a holy God who is set apart, who is without sin, and we will be accountable for everything we've done and said. And no matter how good we are or how good we fixed up our lives, it will never be enough to bridge that chasm that separated us from our loving Father, that rebellion, that sin. When we said, no thanks, God, I'm going to do it my own way. It doesn't matter how kind you were. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done to other people. You rebelled against your Creator and rejected Him. And no matter how good you can be, it will never be good enough to stand before God and justify the crucifixion of His Son, His Son that died so that you could live. And so that's why we got to start with this very important foundation to understand that we are dearly loved and it's only through the grace of Jesus that we can stand. But once that's been settled, listen, that, that's the assumption here in this letter to the church. That's been clearly communicated. And then it goes on and it says, hey, listen, you don't just stop there with grace. You need to move on and, and, and express that grace. And here's how you do that, church. Here's how you do that before a lost and hurting world. Here's how you do that in conflict. God doesn't leave you to figure out your broken marriage by yourself. He's not only there present for you to depend on his grace, but he says, here's the road map. He doesn't leave you to figure out that broken relationship at work or in your friendship alone. He says, here's how you do it. And here's seven things that he commands his church to do. Here, this is what it looks like to follow me in the tension of life that we are all so familiar with these days. Number one, it's right here again in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to hang out here in this verse for a little bit. It says, clothe Clothe yourselves with compassion. With compassion. Clothe yourselves with, with compassion. Now we need a lot of this these days because, man, there's, there's so much hurt right now. There's so much anger and disillusionment. We need more compassion. And a lot of times I've noticed that when we're not compassionate towards someone, being compassionate towards them, understanding of them, sympathetic towards what they're going through, a kind word, a, a moment of listening, a, help, a helping hand, however that's expressed, a lot of times we're not compassionate because we're not, we're not understanding that person's perspective. 
Compassion can be a, a difficult thing to do in the middle of conflict, to have compassion on somebody when the tensions are high. And sometimes we make bad assumptions about someone or a situation that causes us to lack compassion for them. Just for example, someone walks into the room and, and they're, they're having a, a bad day, expressed by a bad attitude, things are not going well. You don't know what's behind that bad day, and, and sometimes you can make a false assumption that it's you. Well, maybe they're just upset at me. Maybe they don't like me. Maybe, they, maybe there's some issue in our relationship, and then you can respond, and, and, the, and the tensions rise, the conflict rises. And in all reality, it what didn't have anything to do with you. It's that they just been having a really bad day or a bad season. And so we make false assumptions that lead to a lack of compassion. And what if you just started giving everybody the benefit of the doubt? Hey, maybe, maybe they're just having a bad day. Maybe they've had a really difficult life. Maybe there's some things here I don't understand. But you know what? What Jesus would do is he'd express compassion regardless. Whether it is you or the situation or something else you're not even familiar with, I'm just going to be compassionate to this person. I'm going to be compassionate. How, how have you been doing that? Have you been expressing God's compassion to people? Or have you expected them to live up to a perfect standard in order for you to be compassionate and understanding? Be compassionate. We're told to... Be compassionate to each other. It also tells us to clothe ourselves with kindness. It's God's people. It tells us to clothe ourselves intentionally. You put it on. You don't wake up and you're in a new set of clothes. You have to put it on. You have to try for this. You have to try to be kind. And God in his spirit kindly empowers us, and it's God's kindness that is our inspiration. Think about the kindness of God in your life, the undeserved favor of God in our lives. That's our motivation. But be kind to others, and we really need it. You know, before the pandemic hit, we had, we already had snobs. We had, we had food snobs. People were food snobs, and they had their, 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 their things. They were foodies, and they, they knew exactly what they liked. And then you had coffee snobs, right? Coffee snobs became a thing, or people knew exactly the kind of coffee they wanted. You know, I want, I want Ethiopian coffee, not just the normal stuff, mid-mountain region, whatever. It's like they know exactly what they want and how they want to serve. Well, now, now in this new season we're in, I think we have a whole other kind of snob. We have what well, we're all becoming, hand sanitizer snobs, right? It's like, I mean, you start to realize the difference after you use this stuff daily for so long. And you realize there's a difference between the stuff that, that dries up quick and the stuff that kind of leaves a sticky film on your hand. And so we, we're becoming snobs about this. Well, how does it smell before I, I buy it? I want to know, is it the good stuff, Right? And then the real, real test is if you eat something afterward, after applying hand sanitizer, you eat something with your fingers, how does it taste, right? So, so we got some hand sanitizer snobs these days. And, 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 you know, we all are having to adjust. We're all having to make adjustments in this new normal that we're, we're experiencing, these crazy times. Who would have thought? And, and we all need to express a little more kindness to each other, just, just to go out of our way to intentionally express kindness. There was a movement a while back, random acts of kindness. I, I think that's the kind of thing that the believers should be about. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to go out of way, my way to be kind to this person who's, who's serving me at this store or this, this restaurant. I'm going to go out of my way to be kind to this coworker to help out, to, to serve someone else. Why? Because, man, we're all going through a hard time, and life can be hard. So, so that person, I know that they, they would benefit from some extra kindness, and that's going to that's gonna wake up a, a dark world. When they see the light of Christ shining through you, when you're kind and and when we're kind to each other, going out of our way to, to reach out and encourage and build each other up, to be kind to each other, it makes such a difference. But the church is not called just to be compassionate and kind. There's a third thing here. It goes on. It says to clothe ourselves 
compassion and kindness with humility. With humility. Humility, they say, is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less often. It's thinking about others more often. It's thinking about God more often. But we naturally tend to think of our own situation, our own scenario, our own perspective. But man, when, when you start to think of others, and you can start to walk in humility, and it's something you have to practice, and, and then by God's grace you're able to do over time. When you, when you start to do that, man, it really changes. Doesn't it really changes your experience with other people? It's like your eyes are open, your ears are open in a fresh way. I, I had done some surfing uh, years back, and I had, I had been out on the beach a lot, and I had some sand. And I, I, my doctor said, well, you have some narrow uh, ear canals, and she had some sand and some things that got in there, and so uh, I'm going to flush it out. And I was there at the appointment, they, they flushed out my ears. And they just had this little pump with some, some salt water, and they put it in there. They flushed out my ears and got them all clean. And, and, man, I walked out of that doctor's office, and the birds were chirping. And I was like, whoa, what, what is going on? And I was typing on my laptop later that day, and I could, man, those keys are so loud. I can, like, hear them so clearly. And, like, there was just a difference between before and after. I could hear things differently, so clearly. I wonder if you started to walk in greater humility around your workplace, around your home, and your relationships, if you wouldn't start to hear others more clearly, if you wouldn't start to see things a little bit differently. See, when you have a, a self-absorbed perspective, and it's all from your lens, your, your vantage point, you miss things. You, you, you miss the opportunity to be compassionate to others because you don't see it from their perspective. You don't understand that humility is, is not thinking less of yourself. You're walking around with your head held low like, man, I'm nobody, I'm nothing. And that, that can turn into a false humility. And it's not accurate. The view that God has of you, you're highly valued. You're somebody in him. You're a child of a king. You have an inheritance in the king. You, you are somebody very valuable. It's not walking around with it. You're, you're nothing and no one. No, no. It's walking around with a perspective that other people really matter. Everyone matters. How can I make them feel that? It's walking around with your eyes on God, focused on Him, not on yourself. That's humility. And it says to clothe yourselves in humility. Man, that changes things when there's tension. You're in the middle of a conflict if you can humble yourself. Say, it's not about me. It's not about my perspective. It's not about being right. It's not about what I want. I want God to win in this situation, not the devil. I don't want the devil to destroy this relationship, this friendship, this business. I, I want God to be glorified. So it's not about me. I can humble myself because it's not about me. It'll change things for you. It'll change things in a big way. It goes on here. It tells us to clothe ourselves not only with humility, but it says with gentleness. With gentleness. This fourth, fourth attribute says we should clothe ourselves with gentleness. Some confuse this with weakness. But gentleness is not weakness. It's strength. I heard someone say it's power under control. Power that is, is controlled. It's this throttled back, appropriately applied to the right situation. It's separating emotion from your actions or your words when temperatures rise and escalate. Say, I'm, I'm going to be gentle here. I have the power to act, but I'm, I'm going to control it with wisdom. I'm going to restrain it so that I can better serve and love others. So it tells us to be, be gentle. And then it goes on one more in, in verse 12. It says, to clothe yourselves with gentleness and patience. And that's where this, this verse ends with this fifth attribute. It says, with patience. And then it goes on. It says, bear with each other. The next verse, bear with each other. With patience, we bear with each other. We're, we're understanding to each other. See, we don't always understand what it looks like to walk in someone else's shoes. You, you may have heard that statement to, to put yourself in someone else's shoes. 
But I don't know if you've ever stopped to actually think about that cliche, think about what that actually means. I mean, what if you actually could put yourself in someone else's shoes? Like if you could just unlace or, or slide out of those flip-flops, in, in our case here in Florida, and you could, you could go over to that person's situation in their life, and you could just slip your feet right in. If you could just lace up and walk throughout a day, the same place their footsteps go. The same home life that they have, the same work or lack thereof that they have, the same place where they live and dwell, and the same relationships they're in. Maybe you could see things just a little bit different. Maybe in, in a conversation or, or, or a disagreement or a conflict, maybe you could just flip things and go, say, what would it look like if I was in their shoes? What are, what are they trying to communicate? What is it that they're trying to say? If I, can I just hear that for a moment? If I was in their shoes, what is it they're actually saying? Man, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Patience. I can just be patient with each other. If I can understand other people's perspective, understanding is another good word here. How, how, how can I be understanding of others? You know, we're big Tampa Bay Lightning fans here in the in the in the Tampa region. And one NHL goalie, uh, he said, when asked if he liked his job, he responded and he said, "How would you like a job where if you made a mistake, a big red light goes off and eighteen thousand people boo?" <laughs> And, I, and I, before I heard that, I never thought about that, the life of a goalie. That's a really hard job. That's their career. That's how they put food on the table. they got to defend this small space from a hockey puck flying behind them, and every time it does, everybody knows that they fail. Does, does everybody know every time you fail? Does a huge red light go off? Do people boo at you and point at you and threaten to fire you every time you make a mistake? Well, that's the life of a goalie. I never would have imagined. Man, if we could just... Be patient with each other when, when we fail, when we make mistakes. What would it look like if you could put yourself in someone else's shoes and extend more grace, put on the lenses of somebody else and see life through their perspective? I think this is what a believer, how we should function when tensions are high. Be patient with others. Man, that's going to stand out. Someone's going to look at you, man, they're set apart. There's something different about that person. But there's two more things expressed and the rest of this passage that we read earlier that are also very important, it gives us these first five traits. It says, clothe yourselves with these things. Put these things on. These are a big deal. It's going to make an impact in your life. Then it goes down to verse 13, and it says, bear with each other, bear with each other, and forgive. There it is. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, hold on. Why would I forgive when someone wrongs me, offends me? Why wouldn't I pay him back? Why wouldn't I hold a grudge? Why would I ever talk to them again? Here it gives us the why behind forgiveness. Right there in that second part that I just read, it's because we should forgive as the Lord forgave us. That's the why. It doesn't really make a lot of sense outside of that context. But because we sinned against God and we rebelled against him and our sinfulness was such a big deal, God loved us so much that he forgave us when we asked. And he asked us to do the same. He says, if you want to be forgiven, you need to forgive. If you want to experience the forgiveness of God, you need to be a forgiving person. That's our motivation. It's not a matter of do they deserve it, how big was the offense, how long was it ago, and are, do they really care? Are they sorry? It's not about any of those things, really. It's, it's about God's grace, his forgiveness extended to you, always available to you. And he says, if you're going to be my child, if you're going to be a part of my family, if you're going to operate in this new operating system called being a Christ follower, a Christian, then you got to act like Jesus did. And Jesus forgave even those who were crucifying him on the cross. Father, forgive them. They, they know not what they do. In the very act of being executed, he forgave. And you may feel like others around you are treating you terribly and awfully. You don't have to excuse their behavior. 
but you're called to forgive them and not get bitter toward them. See, God asks us to forgive, and it's really God's healing agent in our relationships. God gave us this story in, in the book of John, chapter 8, where there's an interaction with Jesus and some other people who were, they were questioning him what to do. They had, they had brought this woman and thrown, thrown her before him, and she was caught in the act of adultery. And, and they say, well, we should stone her according to the law, so, so what do you say that we do? And he knelt down and he started writing in the sand. And some speculate that perhaps he was writing the sins of the people that were standing around, writing, writing their sins, <laughs> their names. But, but either way, he was writing in the ground, and we don't know what he wrote, but one by one, the people, people left. Because Jesus made a really powerful statement. He said, those, the one of you who is without sin, throw the first stone. And as they started to leave, every one of them, one at a time, realized, I, I can't throw the first stone. I've sinned as well. They, they eventually left, and then this powerful verse in John chapter 8 comes along, verse 10. Jesus straightened up, and he asked her, this woman caught in adultery. He says, woman, where are they? Talking about her accusers. Where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. He says, I, I don't condemn you either. I'm willing to forgive you but you must also leave your, your sins. So it's this tremendous grace of God, but also this clear call to holiness, being set apart, living differently. There's a clear theme throughout Scripture of, of grace and forgiveness. God's grace is it's the most, arguably the most important message of the entire Bible. It's, it's, it's the grace of God expressed through Jesus Christ. It is the central message of, of the word, of the gospel. It's, it's the grace and forgiveness of God through Jesus, his son, who forgave us of all of our sins as we asked. It doesn't mean we're saying that when people wrong us, it's okay. That's not okay. But we can still be okay inside because we have forgiven. It's been said that to forgive someone else is to set a prisoner free. And then later to realize that you were the prisoner. We forgive. That's what believers do. We, we forget. We extend grace and forgiveness. That's what we do. But maybe there's someone here today who needs to receive forgiveness. Before we move on to the seventh and final attribute to help us navigate tension and conflict, let me just pause and say there might be someone listening today who, who you need to seek forgiveness from someone else that you've wronged or from God himself and you've wandered away and you, you need to ask him, God, forgive me. I want to come home today. And if that's you, you can do that right now in this very moment. You can ask God for his forgiveness. When this message is finished and you, you've had a moment, you, you, can, you can pause and say, you know what, here's the wrong. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up the phone right now and I'm going to call and I'm going to ask for forgiveness. You, you can make things right now. That, that choice is up to you. You can, you can do that. There was a story told by Bob Goff who was visiting a bunch of inmates in prison and had a ministry going with these guys. And he said the average unserved term for all these men was, was like around 100 years. The average person wasn't ever going to get out. And they were serving life terms and these sorts of things. And, and as they were going around the circle, it was a very, very meaningful time of sharing and just getting things off their chests as he ministered to these, these men in this jail. And, and one of the guys spoke up and he said, you know what, for the last 20 years, I've been telling all of you, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I've been telling everybody, I didn't do it. But he said, you know what? I did it. I did it. And he got it off his chest. And, and Bob Goff later went on to say, you know what? Even though that guy was in, in jail, even though he's in prison, 
he was the most free person in that room because he, he got it off his chest. I did it. He confessed. He acknowledged his sin and sought forgiveness. And, and for anyone who's listening today and you've been holding back, you've been hiding something, listen, there is such a free feeling to step out into the light and say, God, I confess. Forgive me. I was wrong. And there's a powerful moment in a relationship when you've wronged another person and you can walk into their life and say, I, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? It doesn't mean that they will extend forgiveness, but as you do that before God, you can be set free inside. And I long for that for, for some of you who are listening today. You can be set free. It takes tremendous humility, and it takes a ton of courage to do that. But you can be set free. You can be set free. It goes on. Colossians chapter 3, the seventh, the seventh quality, the seventh instruction for us as believers to handle relationships well in a God-honoring way. It says down in verse 13, to bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then verse 14, listen. Over all these virtues, put on love. Over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So all these things have just been listed, these, these five attributes that you're supposed to clothe yourself with, this very clear instruction to forgive others. Over all these other six things, the thing that's more important than all of those, the thing that you really need to get, the thing that binds all those other things together, the thing above those things, it says over all these things, there's a priority being set here. If you'll get this thing right, I've saved the best for last. Here's a little list, how to navigate relationships. I've saved the best for last, the final ingredient. If you don't put in the sugar, it's not going to taste very good or whatever that ingredient is. This is it. This is, this is it, and it's love. It's not going to work right if you don't have this. You can mechanically go through the motions, but if you don't have love for someone else, what do you really have? It's above all these things, man. Fill your life up with love for others. Really care. Do you really care about others? Do you really love and value other people? Who do we look to for an example on this? Of course, we look to Jesus. That he loved others. He expressed that through his life and his death. Jesus loved at all costs. He disadvantaged himself for our advantage. Do you live that way? Is your, is your posture toward others a posture of love? Do you really love others? So many people use others. They, they, they use them to uplift themselves, to reflect back what they want, to, to serve them. But there's a posture change in being set apart as a believer. It's not what we get from people. It's what we, we, we can do for them. The whole flow of the relationship changes. How can I serve, not how can I be served? How can I uplift and build up and pour into and give to, not take? Well, before we close in prayer, let's look at this passage one more time. And as I read through it, I want you to zero in on that one or two things that you're going to work on this week so that you can be a more loving person in your relationships, so you're going to better navigate conflict. Look at this right here. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And as we wrap up this message, I'll tell you, I saw an example of a lot of these things. And uh, one of our pastors, Kurt Swan, who, who courageously brought into the light 
brought in into public some things that he had dealt with in his 36, 37 years of ministry now in the same place, First Christian Church, which merged into church experience earlier this year. And, and, and when some things were brought up to us after the merger of, hey, here's some, here's some things that have gone on and some parts of my life that were unknown previously to most people. And, and to see him courageously bring that up now and share that with the people he's been pastoring and, and to go through a, a, a counseling process that we provided for him and a restoration process, things that were years ago but things that, that needed to be dealt with and that he has dealt with and that God's been working in his life on and, and coming to the point where he could say, hey, God is doing a fresh and new work in my life, not only in our church but, but in my life. It's just so inspiring to see. And I wonder today there might be somebody who would say, you know what? There's some undealt with issues in my past, and I just need help. Please reach out to us and let us know how we can help. But there's one person you can always reach out to, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, and that's Jesus Christ. And you say, God, I, I need your mercy. I, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace, and I need your help. And if that's you, you can reach out to him today as we close this message in prayer. Let's, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this instruction that you have given us, this very practical and tactical instruction on how to have great relationships in the midst of what could be conflict and tension that's all around us. You've given us some clear direction how we can navigate those waters, how we can build healthy families, how we can build a healthy church or a healthy business, how we can build great friendships. God, you gave us this roadmap here, these seven things. But God, above all these things, the thing that we want to take away is that it's about love. It's about your love for us expressed through Jesus Christ. It's, it's about us loving each other and ultimately us loving you, God. That's what life is all about. And that's how you created us, to be in a loving relationship with you and with other people. So, Father, that's what we want. That's what we're asking for. And today as we, we, we pause in prayer, if there's anyone that's hearing this message, and, and this is your moment, that you need to reach out and ask God for forgiveness. Turn your life over to him. Turn back to him. Come home. Do that right now. Don't let a moment pass you by. Father, I pray for those who right now are contemplating a change or maybe calling up someone and asking for forgiveness or, or maybe having their first words directly to you in a long time, coming home to you. God, give them the courage, the audacity to pray those bold prayers, to come before you in confidence, knowing that you're a gracious and loving God. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for what you mean to each and every one of us today. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.
Come. 